Welcome to the Mind Money Spectrum Podcast, where your hosts, Aaron Ogti and Trishal Patel, go beyond traditional finance questions to help you explore how to use your money to achieve the freedom you want in life. Hi, my name is Aaron Ogti. I'm a financial advisor in the Bay Area, and I'm here with Trishal Patel, a wealth manager on the East Coast. Hi, Aaron. Great to be here today, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Great to be here as well. So I know we have not been as diligent about uh, recording these episodes and getting them out, and most of that's my fault. And I want to kind of give a little explanation and use that as uh, the intro to our conversation today. I am a really big sports fan. Uh Basically, it's, at least going back before high school, I have loved playing and watching sports. I still, in my late 30s, try to play sports as much as I can. Most times, just slow pitch softball, uh, golf, skiing. I'll try and play Thanksgiving football games. Uh, I, I love coaching my kids, go outside and play with them. I, I really love playing sports. I have a buddy who's trying to get me into cricket. I have a other friends who play soccer and I'm like, they'll let me out to pick up basketball. Like I really love getting out, playing, being active. Um, in fact, I, I don't like exercising or running, but if there's a sport involved, I will go pretty hard. But because I'm getting into my late thirties and I'm playing sports, like I'm in my late twenties, I actually have a torn meniscus and I'm going to need surgery coming up soon. So uh, between the pain and kind of, dealing with my knee uh, that has impacted my lifestyle a little bit, but I do feel like these uh, free podcasts that aren't associated with any specific clients have kind of suffered, and I, I want to apologize for that. But when I think about sports, and kind of for today's conversation, one of the things I've been thinking about for the last few months is kind of the concept of like a favorite and underdog and especially how that relates to probabilities. Uh, So March Madness wrapped up when the NBA playoffs, baseball season starting, but I've been thinking about this basically since the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. They were pretty big, pretty big underdogs in their first or the the two two games leading up to that, including in the Super Bowl where they lost to the Rams. But just this idea that, even though favorites are expected to win and they do win most of the time, underdogs still win and the, the the less likely event still does happen and we start to get sample sizes large enough that happen with pretty consistent regularity. The the best example I remember telling Trishel about this a little bit ago, uh Several years ago, Warren Buffett sponsored something with Yahoo Fantasy Sports and said if anyone picked a perfect March Madness bracket, he would give them a billion dollars. Because the odds of, and again, Warren Buffett's just playing the, the probabilities, the odds of someone picking a perfect bracket are really are that low. And so I'm sure Yahoo... Uh, paid him for this and it's, it's actually kind of he made an insurance policy for them that like that they knew could get backed and this idea like 
even if you knew each team was going to win, they had a 70% chance of winning. Okay. So the underdogs only have a 30% chance of winning. The odds of every favorite winning over 63 games get ridiculously small. It's like you're getting uh, 10 decimal places on the percentage. So you are starting to get to, it's probably something like a, on the scale of one in 10 billion to uh, one. It's, it's yeah that's probably the scale it's like it's a it's starting to get a 10 digit number um realistically like what happens is some of the early games most of the te- some teams have a 90 percent chance of winning but a lot of the games are closer to 50 50 or 55 45 and so that's part of what makes the odds of that just extremely long and so warren buffett was kind of able to ensure this and this actually comes out is the same type of policy, just with much bigger numbers, that you'll see at a wide variety of events. If you ever happen to uh, go to like a charity golf event, and there'll be if you get a hole in one on this hole, you win a car, or you win ten thousand dollars, or if you go to a basketball game, and during halftime, uh, so I went to UCLA, I did this every halftime, every home game, one of the students will get a chance at a layup, free throw, three-pointer, and half-court shot. And if they can do that in a certain time, they get tuition for the quarter or something like that. Um, they will also sometimes do it at, like, if you just make the one half-court shot, that you'll get some kind of prize. And the reason the schools and all the teams can offer this is that there's actually insurance companies that will insure those types of events. They actually have pretty good odds and pricing on what's the likelihood that this thing's going to happen. And so for that hole-in-one thing, you could, as a tournament or the organizer, pay something like $500 to ensure that hole, that if someone gets a hole-in-one over the course of the field, could be 100 people playing through the course on that particular day, it'll pay off a roughly $30,000 car. And that, uh, so there's kind of known insurance policies for these types of unlikely events. And that's kind of just what Warren Buffett did. He was the insurance company that was offering a billion dollars if this, uh, this type of event, this very unlikely event happened. And so as I described this to Trishel, this, this concept of the unlikely events almost being measurable. So one of the kind of conversation I want to talk about today is what's the difference between how people think about it? Like the, there's, I, there's no way this could happen when it's like you force it. like, well, yes, technically it's possible, but I just can't believe that this thing is going to happen because it's, it's unlikely. So the kind of the way people think about it especially in the moment, before it's happened. They can't believe how the unlikely event would happen. And the other part is just that concept of trying to measure the unlikely thing and then tying either insurance to it or 
kind of measuring the risk and probability and how that kind of plays out in finance and insurance and we've kind of related to conversations we've had in the past about things like life insurance versus car insurance so i'll first start on the on the, the human side when when something extremely unlikely comes up one i guess have you had that feeling of oh there's no way this is going to happen i can't believe it Yeah, I feel like there's um, there's like a big numbers type of behavioral effect going on here. It's like the notion of, you know, we can maybe imagine what it means to, you know, live for five years or 10 years or 100 years. But then our brain isn't really meant to handle very large numbers. Like what does a million years mean? Or, you know, what does a billion yeah. years mean? It just they, things get so hard to understand when numbers get so out of ordinary from what we're used to. And the way I kind of put this into perspective, for example, with um, the Warren Buffett billion dollar challenge is I, I just thought of it in my mind, like, you know, what's the chances of getting 63 coin flips in a row and, you know, predicting that. I, I feel like, for example, you know, let, let's say there's just two teams competing, right? Um, yep. Then it's just 50-50, right? And if there's four teams, well, then to pick the winner, it's like one in four, right? Assuming they're even odds. And if it's 63 different um, chances of playing, well, then you got to basically predict 63 times in a row like you have to get all 63 right to be be the ultimate winner and if it's like a coin flip like each team is even odds then you know that's kind of like a worst case scenario and like you said it's probably easier than that worst case scenario because some early matches it's very skewed yeah but you know just to give a rough idea with without doing too much complicated analysis it seems like if each chance was 50 50 it's like i said getting 63 coin flips in a row and you know i just plug that into excel and it's one of those where you know excel doesn't bother giving the whole number it just gives like a, a long a few decimal decits and then an exponent yep. of right so it's like basically one times 10 to the negative 19 you know what, what does that even mean <laughs> like, yeah i don't i don't know if we have a number so, um to uh, represent you, that usually uh, when I see numbers that I'll do the inverse because that helps, I think, people conceptualize it. So it's like, I think I did the same math. And so at 50-50, it's like uh, there is a 1 in 9 times 10 to the 18th. And so it's like just how many how many zeros is 18 zeros? And so it's like you go, okay, million is 6, billion is 9, trillion is 12, uh, quadrillion is 16, so we're up in the like uh it's five nine hundred there's a one in nine hundred quintillion chance right. uh getting sixty three games correct if they were fifty fifty right. like that that's that's the scale that we're at yeah. i can't I can't think of any like i don't do you think there are a quintillion grains of sand on the planet earth um I, I, let's see. So I, 
what I've heard is there's more grains of sand on, on there's no more stars in the universe than there are grains of stand, sand in, in on planet oh, Earth. Oh, that's actually okay. I just did a quick Google search. How many grains of sand on Earth? Vegas, uh, seven quintillion. Five hundred. Okay. Okay, I'm pretty impressed with my guess there. Like, I'm being like goosebumps. That was crazy. So basically, it's a chance of picking a grain of sand yes. out of all the grains of sands on the planet. Yes. So, from that perspective, yeah, I'd say taking the other side of that bet. Basically, yeah, if you can pick out the grain of sand I'm thinking about out of all the grains of sands in the planet, I'll give you a billion dollars. You know, that's like the equivalent. <laughs> to the Warren Buffett challenge. Yeah. But you have so, to have the... Well, so so the, the slight caveat, okay? Because again, we're, this is... We're going to try and be correct with the probability. That's the odds of one person making one pick. With the Yahoo right. Fantasy Sports, there's going to be several hundred thousand, if not several million participants. So right. you're getting into the these multiple- conditional probabilities. So that it brings it down... Maybe only on the scale of a trillion-ish, uh, trillion to quadrillion chance of happening, which is still a good bet for your billion. Right. I, I'm I'm searching. I I think I have the terms here, but uh, let, let's see. There, it's one billion dollars and um forty installments of twenty five million or five hundred million upfront. Sure, sure, sure. Um. It looks like anybody, any household can apply. So it sounds like it's a free thing. Yeah. Uh, Yahoo was using this kind of like business marketing kind of thing to to attract people to their game. They were paying Warren Buffett some equivalent, like a million dollars or $10 million uh, as the, like, the premium of that insurance policy, just like that right. hole in one or the half court shot I described. Okay, so so here we go. The first ten million, so just ten million can apply for this challenge. Okay, so that they capped okay. it at that. So basically, take the number that we had, um, one in nine quadrillion, and no, we're, divide that by a million. Yeah. So that, yeah. that basically brings us to one in well, okay. So he, these this number gets chopped quite a bit. So now we're at one in. Let's see. I think it's we're, only, we're down to tr- we'll go from quintillions down million, to trillions. Million. Yeah. So one in nine trillion at that. Point. Yeah. Which is okay, still so... <laughs> uh, not nine thousand billions. Well, okay. So now let's divide that by a billion and see what. Oh we yeah, end yeah. Up there with. you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so here we go. So yeah, you're gonna get yeah, like a nine, like a one in nine thousand chance of happening. Okay, so I I, I want to make sure I don't lose a hundred. Let's see, thousand <laughs> million. Okay, one more zero billion. One in nine thousand. That's right, a one in nine thousand chance, assuming even odds of somebody winning this. So that's what I think. Uh, oh, so it's possible Yahoo only pay, like possible they paid him like so you do the math of like. 111,000, 111, so a billion divided by a 1 in 900,000 chance. So mm-hmm. uh, the odds of that, like, Yahoo would have to pay him at least $111,000. It would not surprise me if they paid him $500,000, like, for that, 
uh, kind of that fits in their marketing budget to get 10 million people to play their game. Yeah, that's a that's a four x profit for him. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, the the numbers work out so that it the the expected value of insuring this is not that large of an amount. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, the expected value of ten million people winning a again, it's that that one in. We're basically on that one in nine hundred quintillion number as the odds of getting a perfect bracket. It is not quite that high, uh, because again, we have those early games that you can predict. Uh, you have, you have the favorites have a ninety percent chance of winning, um, so it's not quite that high, but it's going to be on that scale. And so, would not surprise me if Yahoo paid. Warren Buffett a one million dollars for for him like an expected value of five hundred thousand. So he may have only like right. doubled his odds, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. That 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 makes sense. Yeah. So. That. So so again, that that's let's kind of go back. Like you can't that idea that like, you can't conceptualize numbers that big, and so. When you're looking, um, a, a good example. So uh, I was playing golf with some friends, and I was playing a par three. Hit a horrible shot off to the right. Uh, uh, one of the other guys was on the green. I'm looking for my ball. I'm like up on this hill. I'm 50 yards from the green. I'm just trying to get onto the green. My buddy is he's a little past the hole, so. His back is to me. He see like he starts to play his putt, doesn't see me because his back's to me. So like I'm just trying to get on. I'm not expecting to be anywhere close. Uh, I get a okay chip. It's on the green. It's rolling. He doesn't see me. He, I'm far enough. He actually doesn't hear me. He makes his putt, and those two balls hit each other in motion. He's putting towards the hole. My ball goes between him and the hole, and my ball hits his ball. And it's like one of those things like there's no way we could replicate that. There's no way. The the again, the kind of the odds of that happening are so extremely low. But these kind of super, super, super low probability things happen around the world all the time. But also in part, like, there's a difference between the thing happening and how crazy was that after the fact versus if you ask someone in advance, what are the odds that your two balls collide while moving? Like, it's not going to happen. Like, it's, it's, they would say it's virtually impossible kind of thing. And so I want to kind of talk about that, like, the the the... Uh, to a lesser degree, it would be things like Trump winning the election, where people didn't think it was going to happen, but that thirty percent probability thing did happen. And other times where the people are are kind of so like 
they're overconfident that something's not going to happen. They assign it like a 1% chance of happening, but it's actually like a 10% chance of happening. And I, I think that's that's the thing I think about it most. It's like the, 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 they truly discount how likely something is to happen, even if they're trying to make that type of prediction. And so they have this feeling of when the 10% thing happens of like genuine shock and surprise. And so do you, do you have an example like that where prior to the event, you would not have believed something would have happened? And so when it, it did, you felt that, that feeling of shock, like, wow, I would never have – even after the fact, I, I, can't, I would not have believed that could have happened. But rationally, because you, you kind of understand how probabilities work, it's like – Okay, like that 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 was a a one in twenty chance of happening, and it and it, it happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I, I think the reason these kind of flow through the way they do like that is because it, it's similar to the example with Warren Buffett's um, his March Madness prize scenario. Because the notion is you have a very low probability of event, you know, 10 to the negative 19. And then you have a very large amount of money, you know, tied to it. And basically, you end up running through all of the math and you get a number that's in like... um a reasonable range in terms of expected value, you know, 100,000, 100, 500,000, right? So basically you, you had a very small probability event, but then you you had, um, you know, a, a factor to multiply with, with a very large number and you get a human sounding number at the end. You know, that's why the, the, the bet makes sense, you know, from Warren Buffett's standpoint. But if you don't run that analysis, it just, it seems almost bizarre or weird and i i think the way i try to put that into um just more more human understanding is if you think about it um there's low probability events happening every single second right like all over the place there's low probability events happening but most of them are not noticeable Okay. Meaning most of them we, we just don't care about. All of these <laughs> events are still occurring, but nobody really, you know, cares that the ball came two inches from each other, right? But these are all yeah. little low probability events. But to to counter that, there are literally a tremendous amount of events also happening every second. Yeah. So you multiply the two and you get something that yeah, every once in a while you'll see a now low probability event that you care about happen. It's almost a certainty, given all the events out there. So I, I guess that's, so that's what that's, I, I that's try that's to... Really good point. It's like, um, uh, in my golf example, where they hit each other in motion, it's like, because we weren't thinking about that event prior, like, we would have felt the same shock if both balls went in the hole. Mm -hmm. We would have felt the same shock if... 
I hit his putter instead of his ball. Mm-hmm. Um, right. uh, so yeah, it's like we're, we're there's a difference between like trying to predict what the event is beforehand, and that's a truly low probability, versus the odds of something happening start to get kind of high. Right. It's that notion of, um, what do they say? You have 30 people in a room and the chances of them having the same birthday is over 50%. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, right? That, that Just you work through the math and then that, that's what it turns into. Whereas you would think it's a very low probability event. But no, there's en- enough events out, you know, within that sample to make that probability high. Yeah. It's also that notion of, um, you know, you, you travel to some random city on vacation and you see somebody, a classmate from 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? And, yeah, what, <laughs> right. What are the odds? But if you run through the math, it's actually not so low. Yeah, because you would have that feeling seeing any number of two to 500 acquaintances over your history in that one city but you're like yes the odds of you meeting that one person in that one foreign city are very low but the odds of you meeting someone that you've met in a foreign city start to get more and more likely right and you know you you put in um the non-randomness factors into it, the fact that people generally take their vacations around the same time and people generally travel to, you know, a certain number of major cities, yeah. like, you know, the ch- and so on. And the numbers come back into the human realm. So, so I'm trying to, I, I when's the yeah, last time you, when, what, do you have an example of like when you felt that shock? Um, I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it has. Uh, you know, it's not really coming to mind right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like usually like, uh, uh, things related to kids or sports, like, um, those tend to, again, there's enough, uh, enough of those events that the things that, that happen are pretty unusual. Um, if you ever watch baseball for an extended period of time, like the, there's a almost a trope of like, oh, this player who's comes to bat is leading all third basemen in batting average when leading off an inning during day games. Right. And it's like yeah. you've added enough qualifiers. <laughs> it's like. Uh, <laughs> They're they're th- they're four for eight. They have like eight eight at bats. It's like, but they're leading the, the batting arm. So it's like it, it, it's th- those types of feelings of like, oh man, this guy must be a really good third baseman when leading an inning while playing day games. And right. yeah, the, the the trying to describe the the events after the fact are it, it's uh there's there's definitely a human behavior element so like we're we're trying to fit description 
afterwards to what happened uh, rather than trying to acknowledge this with the realm of possibility. So it's like, um, uh, again, I kind of to think about sports a lot. Like, what uh, if you were to predict that scenario, like which third baseman will have the highest batting average when uh, leading off an inning in day games, it's most likely just the third baseman who has the highest batting average. And it's like the better hitter just will lead most of those types of qualifying events. But you'll say this third baseman leads baseball in batting average, which is really good because there's lots of players. You won't add he's also the uh, leading the league in batting average when leading off during day games. He's also leading the league in average when leading off an inning during night games. He's also leading the league in average. He's probably leading in multiple categories, but you're not going to add those qualifiers because the, the conversation starts to sound weird. Right. It's also one of those things where you you have to kind of look at the sample, which is kind of what you're alluding to after you add in the qualifiers. Yeah. You know, in, in the simple case where you have just one qualifier, well, then you have all the batters out there. But once you add a bunch in, well, then you may be down to a population that has only a handful of people. And to be chosen out of that handful, well, it's not as hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, so as we look at, uh, look at statistics on the first day of the season and everything just feels weird. It's like, mm. Oh man, he's on, he's already on pace after two games into the season to hit 200 home runs and shatter the record. <laughs> like, well, let's see if he keeps that pace up of one home run per day. Or uh, three home runs in the first two days, something like that. Right. It, it's so you know that that's where in statistics a law of large numbers comes into play. You know the notion yeah. that you need to have a lot of data points that are, um, hopefully independent of each other. You know, not um, don't have some sort of correlation in them to to tease out a signal. And that's actually one of the things that that comes up in things like the NFL and March Madness, where the playoff format is uh, one and done. So um, you play one game and you advance. If you lose the game, you're out. Whereas the NBA and uh, Major League Baseball, they have series, uh, college college world series also uh women's college world series will also have to do double elimination formats and so if you have one of those early round march madness games where the favorite's going to win 90 percent of the time if they played 10 times they probably win nine of those games uh but the underdog if they went they only one of those 10 if that happens to be the first one that's all that's the only one that matters and so we don't get to see those other kind of replays or repeats of the same same variable. And that's just one of the things that plays out in sports pretty consistently is that uh, football 
tends to be a small sample size sport. There's only 16 games versus 162 um, for Major League Baseball. Sorry, NFL now has 17 games. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why the underdog Bengals were able to win a couple playoff games is they played well in those games. They might have had a 30-40% chance of winning each game. So if you were to predict beforehand the odds of the Bengals making the Super Bowl or the Bengals winning the AFC, they would have been relatively low odds. And this is what sports books make their money on. But it's a small sample size sport and they they played well in those games and so they outplayed their opponent and so they got to move on. But if they had to repeat, they'd be less likely that they... That, that's probably a good, good way to think about it. It's like, um, if you just saw the Bengals, I think they beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. You saw the Bengals beat the Chiefs. If the same two teams play the same game the next week, the Chiefs would still be favored. Even though everyone just saw the Bengals beat the Chiefs. All the kind of betting odds and people expectation would be the Chiefs are the better team. They will win that, the next game. And that's a, that's another kind of interesting part of that, that, that like human, human observation dynamic of, yes, they won the game. I still don't think they're the better team. Which is yeah. kind of true-ish. No, that that makes sense. Uh, well, so I, I think when we see odds, sometimes our brain over extrapolates, and when we see anomalies, I think our our brain over extrapolates as well. When in reality, the odds just may be what they are. For example, you know, if a team has a seventy-five percent chance of winning, well. That's not a certainty, right? Many people may start filling out their, you know, their brackets, for example, with a notion that that's far more likely than 75%, meaning one in four times, that's going to go the other way. So kind of come back to like the the finance side a little bit. When, When you think of these low probability events that are kind of measured or uh, like, like there's a, there's enough of the like options or life insurance or car insurance. Like what are, what are something that you think of those low probability events that do happen? Whether it could be like a black swan type of event could be the big market downturns. Like the odds that the market drops by 5% today are really, really low but the odds of the market drops by 5% someday in the next decade are actually kind of high. Like what, what do you think of when you think of those low probability events that happen in finance and, and or like people's reaction to them? Well, uh, yeah, I, I think it's fair to understand that there's going to be many, many events. So those low probability events will eventually happen. I think that's something that we have to keep our mind on and not lose sight of. So frankly, with the markets themselves, 
the ideal position or the ideal understanding is that over time markets go up. So even though these low probability events will happen and they'll be painful over time, you'll still come out ahead if you have a a long enough time horizon. And at that point, you know, the perspective you want to bring to the game is that you should be prepared to ride those out if and when they happen because they eventually will happen. You know, that keep that as a certainty. Uh, You know, like, for example, investing in the public markets and equity, you should anticipate even with an index to perhaps be down over 50 to 60%. Because, again, if history is to be our guide, that's what we've seen at a low probability, and there's no reason to believe why that can't happen again. Um, so one, well, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this question. Uh, this this might be getting a little selfish, but uh, I have clients who work at companies and they receive stock options. We've talked about this before. And so they tend to have decent holdings in individual companies. And a big part is like, how do we manage concentration risk? How do we manage the taxes? Like what, whatever's our upside? And because the range of outcomes for a single stock is greater than a diversified index. I'm trying to think of like, how would you approach that? Like, how the feeling or like, if just selling everything is not an option because it's uh, not yet liquid, or we want to try and figure out hold hold some. Okay, so I guess. that idea of like stocks generally go up over a long enough time period applies to a diversified portfolio. How applicable is that to a single stock? Yeah, How I mean, likely is a... it that a single company goes up over time? Right. The concern is that... Um there's enough risk that that single stock could get into trouble such that it not only lags the overall market, but you know, the single stock can go away. It can go bankrupt. And that, that is a big concern, frankly, in terms of how likely, uh, you know, I, I don't have specific numbers on that, but it's enough of a concern that it's not an ideal position to have that, controlling your wealth if losing that position would be hurtful okay if, that's a good way. If, yeah if yeah. losing that position would be hurtful that's a good way to phrase it now that, you know if it's yeah. right, right if it's the satellite to your core then okay you can let it, it it might be okay to let it ride but if it's your core then yeah I, i'd say there there's enough concern there to to think alternative measures again it's tricky like you said in this scenario the the liquidity is not quite an option so it's one of those things where 
you'll you'll need to keep that in mind until you have that liquidity event. It you know it may be better to think that that's not quite your money yet, meaning don't start spending it, as if it was. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably good for it. It's, it's uh, that's that's probably the yeah. It's and I think that comes out in conversation time with clients of it. It's um. Would see how it's kind of almost like measure like how painful would see the seeing this go down actually be, um, and if you can't handle that pain, if it actually is painful, like you, it's going to impact your lifestyle, then that's the reason why we would not be in it. Right. So, and it's very easy to you know overlook that. The, the downsides, you know, especially in the last couple of years, right? The markets have just been rocking and rolling. And sometimes, it, again, just the human mind likes to extrapolate recent events <laughs> indefinitely, right? Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard to really feel it until it's too late. So that you really need to keep that perspective Um in light of what could potentially happen at the forefront of, of your, you know, of our collective thinking. Okay. So, um, I know you don't have as much, uh, clients stock options, but are there conversations you'll have with clients or even just your own internal thoughts of, uh, we're trying to protect against this downside when maybe we shouldn't be, uh, or um, being people being too dismissive of a low probability. Benefit. It's like, oh, this is a possibility. We at least need to discuss it. Yeah. So the the way I like to think about it is. And we mentioned this during our conversations on insurance. You, you want to guard yourself against low probability events that can lead to a high probability of pain should those low probability of events occur. And, you know, for example, in the stock market with a well diversified portfolio, you have these low probability of events. However, if you're prepared to ride them out, then they're not likely to lead to a high amount of pain. So from my perspective, it doesn't necessarily make sense to guard against those um, if you're comfortable with the pain. And that, that's where sensible risk tolerance metrics come into play and position sizing and, um, and you know, adjusting allocations based upon risk profiles and, and whatnot, and then that can all be managed pretty effectively. Now, on the other side, there are events that are low probability that can occur elsewhere that might have a high probability of pain that you do want to think about. And, you know, the big one I like to think of in the insurance space is, for example, disability insurance. You know, I, I've seen situations where individuals have great insurance on their car, like full comprehensive insurance, but <laughs> not so much or maybe nothing if they become disabled and aren't able to earn an income. 
And, you know, let's say you do get into that accident, you'll get a brand new car back, you know, the one you bought last year. But if you can't go to your job and earn that income, that's not going to do so much for you. And, you know, after the fact, you may be willing to say, hey, you know, I don't necessarily need that brand new car back. You know, I'd be okay with half the car. But if I have that disability insurance, I'm getting, you know, a third to half of my paycheck. Well, then, yeah, that, that's probably going to be the bigger driver of of your comfort level should one of these situations occur. Yeah, I, that's. I think almost back to our, our conversation, about like, it, about like the optics or the the people trying to imagine kind of thing, like they can imagine a car accident because they see it on the freeway or they've probably been a small fender bear. Like they can imagine that or it's been in the news. They actually have trouble imagining that they would become disabled. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. It- but, you know, frankly, what, what that really means is the fact that you can imagine the car accident means that it's likely that that's not a low probability event. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, the chance of chances of getting into a car accident over a lifetime is close to one. Yeah. So, so and then, and that we talked about that car insurance companies price that in. And so... That's why that comprehensive is more expensive because it's likely going to happen for most people. You're almost just kind of like prepaying the car through insurance, uh, like just in case it happens in that first year. But yeah, over, over time, that that car insurance is not going to be a positive expected value. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, you're you're prepaying your car for when it does get totaled yeah. if you will that, that's what you're doing and you're you're paying a, a pretty hefty premium to prepay as well yeah okay well any other low probability events that you think about sometimes well you know it, in the insurance space it, it is those things where if you have a situation that is low probability and it could cause, and this has to be an individual thing, it can cause you personally a a lot of pain, then that's what you want to insure against. And this comes down to, you know, life policies. And I'd say the term ones make more sense because again, the chances of any of us dying is a hundred percent. Yeah. But it's going to be a low probability in terms of chances of dying in the next 10 years. And yeah. in those cases, it might cause a high amount of pain. So you got to check for each of these situations, does it fit those metrics? And sometimes it may not, you know, sometimes, for example, you know, the, the, the warrant, extra warranty on your appliances, those appliances are going to break. You can plan for that. That's a, a high likelihood event. But, you know, your your house burning down or if you're in a flood zone, th- those are things to think about more personally. And 
you know, I, I think that that's what I'd say. Uh, so if I hear this correctly, you, uh, because the appliances are likely to break at some point, the warranty is overpriced and you're better off saving the money get in anticipation of paying for a new appliance. But so for high probability events, don't or you're better off self-insuring. But for low probability events, you want to use an insurance company. Yeah. So that that self-insurance notion can apply across the board with everything. And the the way you think about it is the money you would have paid for that warranty, put it in a separate bucket. Right, the money yeah. you pay for that comprehensive, put it in a separate bucket. The money you pay for that, that low deductible policy versus the high deductible policy, put it in a separate bucket. Instead of paying those extra premiums directly to the insurance company, pay it to yourself. Let it grow. You know, for me, it just goes straight into the market. But you know, you, depending on your risk tolerance, you, you can at least earn something on that. It can that premium can grow in your pocket rather than in the insurance company's pockets. Yeah. And when an event happens, you're prepared for it because you realize that these events will happen, and the risk you kind of take on in that scenario is yes, you could have a scenario where your brasher breaks the same time as you get in the car accident, the same time as you get a hole in your roof, right? These that could happen. Yeah. Over a lifetime though, the notion is these events are guaranteed to happen over a lifetime. All of them. And, you know, with enough buffer, self-insurance insuring for these types of scenarios can likely make more sense than paying those premiums at every opportunity yeah yeah well th thank you for helping me transition from sports to insurance i feel like that's a standard for our conversations well, it sounds good, Aaron. Well, I, I enjoyed the conversation. And, you know, for any of our listeners, if you come across a scenario where maybe you, you've had that low probability event occur out of the blue, and maybe it was truly extraordinary, you know, we'd like to hear about it. Or maybe after thinking about it, based upon some of the things we've said, it's brought a, a different perspective. That'd be interesting to know as well. So, Thanks, thanks, Aaron, for the conversation, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We appreciate you joining us today for this episode of the Mind Money Spectrum podcast. Be sure to visit mindmoneyspectrum.com to access the entire library of episodes. Remember, it's not black and white, but the wide spectrum of gray area where you get to pursue the freedoms you want in life. Opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical as no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in directly. Have a nice day.